like the rest of you, we're trying to make sense of this crazy thing that we call life. I'm RJ. I'm Unique. I'm Chasman. And I'm Khalil. And welcome to Try Not to Overthink It. Every day we find ourselves discussing many different topics ranging from trending news to the state of our society as a whole. You name it, we've probably talked about it. And after many heated debates, we decided to expand and share our conversations with you and get and get them to you from a therapist standpoint as well as a social worker standpoint. If this is your first time here, we want to thank you for checking us out. And we hope that you'll become part of the tribe and participate in the conversations. So today, um, we are going to talk about something exceedingly important. Um, today's topic is going to be on suicide prevention. Um, one of the major things that we have seen since the numbers of COVID having seriously increased is we have also seen an uptick in suicide. We have seen an uptick in people having suicidal ideations as well as actually following through and being successful with uh, completing suicide. So I thought it was very important that we as providers, uh, mental health providers, talk on, talk, speak on this subject and kind of bring some awareness to you know, this, this thing that, w that we are currently facing as a, as, a, as a very big problem. So what are you guys' thoughts on Yeah, I definitely think that it's a huge problem. Um, and I, I think sometimes the, the statistics can be a bit confusing because yeah. it makes people seem like, or it kind of to the general population, it makes it seem like, well, this was never an important issue, but it has always been a very important issue. And people die, thousands of people die from suicide every year, hundreds of thousands of people die around the world from suicide. Um, and this is not just something that's a new situation. I think it's, of course, popularized because it's caught the attention of the CDC and mm -hmm. um, politicians. But just like the opiate epidemic, it's been around for years, for decades. Um, so it's a good thing that it's getting notoriety but um, it's not a new thing, not for us as providers and not for people who suffer from depression or suicide ideation. And yes, I did separate the two. Right. And um, as you said, you need, the CDC says nearly uh, 45,975 um, Americans in 2022 died uh, by suicide. And it's the 12th leading cause of death in addition to one um, 125 persons die daily of suicide. So that's nearly 125 per people every minute. Um, and we have to think about it in terms of, like you were saying, there's a difference between the suicidal ideations and actively being suicidal. You know, like, I don't think that we educate people enough about being actually suicidal versus passively, you know, and educating them on how to actually handle these situations um, during those um, instances. Right. Um, another thing to note that, uh, especially since we're talking about some statistics, the suicide rate amongst males in 2020 was four times higher than the rate among, among females. And, you know, on this show, we really try to tap in why males don't talk about their feelings, why males are, um, you know, um, very um, uh, against getting treatment, uh, against going to see a therapist, especially African-American males, the statistics are even larger um, that they don't go see um, a provider. Um, the suicide rates are higher in um, white non-Hispanic males, but the problem is uh, with African-Americans, we're not going to get the help. And you know, we, we do talk about the African-American community on the show, but this is about everybody. Uh, as a clinician, when I do a joiner assessment, um, usually if I see a, a, a patient and, and that's the first time I see them, and um, especially if I'm working at an inpatient program or something like that, I do a joiner assessment, right? And uh, we, we really try to separate um, the person who's having suicidal ideations um, that are actively thinking about harming themselves and the person who's thought about it in the past or suffers from depression. And um, I think that's what Unique is touching on. And if we see that you're actively and you have thought, plan, intent, um, and that's where Chasden jumps in, uh, usually at the crisis, it's like, hey, I have to refer you out because at this point in time, uh, therapy is not really going, this type of therapy is not going to help you um, in, in, the, in the long term, you're really going to need to get some inpatient. You're going to have to have somebody watch you, monitor you, 
because at this time, um, you're probably going to hurt yourself. And some of the statistics that I wanted to share is for every suicide death, there are four hospitalizations for suicide attempts, eight mm -hmm. emergency department visits related to the suicide, and 27 self-reported suicide attempts. Um, and that's for every death. So we, we notice that, hey, there are people who, even if they're not saying it, they're crying out for help by their actions. They're in and out of the hospital. They're in and out of crisis centers. Um, you know, uh, they're having issues um, in their family. Uh, so they're getting, uh, you know, situations where they're disturbing the, the family system. So those are things where I hope that people are starting to notice. And like uh, Unique said earlier, yeah, it's great we're talking about suicide. There's a suicide prevention month. There's all those different types of things, but people are still killing themselves, mm -hmm. right? So there's a problem. There's a disconnect. I think you said something that was interesting where you said people may not be talking. When we see that someone dies, you listed the list of things like they had the hospital visits, they had the self-proclaimed suicidal. Is it that they're not talking or that we as a society just aren't listening to them? Because we see it in our office, we see the client who changes up their clothes. We've talked about it on our, on our podcast, how a person simply changes up their clothes, their hair is unkempt, or other, other things are unkempt. A person who's usually on time for work, they're not on time anymore. They're not verbalizing that. And I think that's one of the things if we're talking about education, it's not always going to be verbalized that I want to die today. Yeah. But you see it. I, I, I mean, I've not come across a person who was suicidal and I couldn't say, nope, they don't look suicidal. It's, it's a look, mm -hmm. right? From that is characteristically different from how that person presents any other time, especially if this is a person or a client that I know very well, even mm -hmm. if it's not someone I know very well just my trained eye, I can see it. And like all of us on this, you know, on the podcast, we can see it. And yeah. so I think training other people what those signs and symptoms look like is helpful it, because you it could be a child. It could be, you know, a spouse um, or a loved one, a friend, a coworker who could easily have gotten help that they needed if someone was listening to the things that they weren't verbalizing. Right. Well, right. I, I think that for a lot of us, it's not that, you know, people aren't, aren't, aren't saying things or people aren't verbalizing things. I think that for a lot of us, we get so caught up in ourselves that mm. we're not paying attention. Um, and not even just paying attention, but I'm so concerned with myself. Mm. I'm so concerned with myself. I'm not really taking the time to pay attention to what's going on around me. Mm. Um, because again, we come in contact with people every day. You know, for me as a person, you know, when I, I, cause I've had this happen, you know, to me in my, in my, in my work life where somebody I worked with for years, you know, took their life. And so it makes you stop and think, were there things that I could have said differently? Were there things that I could have done differently? The signs were there because I was so caught up in what I had to do. I completely missed the signs that they were putting out there, the things, the right. things that were showing that they weren't, they weren't, you know, happy with where they are or who they, or who they were. And a lot of people have it misconstrued that, you know, you have to be dealing with depression as the sole and only reason that you may want to take your life, that you're having those thoughts about taking your life. You know, there's a wide multitude of not just psychiatric issues, but also social issues that you could be experiencing, you know, environmental issues that you could be experiencing that may set you on that course and you're riding the wave and the next, you know, the wave's overtaking you. Mm -hmm. And I think that for a lot of us, when it comes to talking about suicide prevention, we have to kind of rethink what that really means, mm -hmm. you know, because yes, it's become much more in the forefront because mental health and mental health awareness has become much more prevalent because you have famous people that talk about, hey, I struggle with mental health. I struggle with being depressed. I struggle with anxiety. I struggle with these certain issues. And so because it's more prevalent because famous people are, are, are speaking on it, yes, people are more cognizant of the fact that I need to be looking out for people. I need to be really tapped in with people and checking in with them. And so, you know, in rethinking what suicide prevention looks like, you start to assess, you know, financial interventions. Because again, finances, you know, if a person had money and then now they're bankrupt, you know, now I'm thinking of, you know, I don't have nothing to live for anymore. 
you know, and then other things like crisis intervention. If I'm if I'm in a domestic violence type situation, being able to have somebody that I can talk to to help me navigate how to get out of that situation can potentially change my thought process about the situation and what my life can look like. You know, but again, we have to be, you know, proactive and not just constantly be trying to do the same thing because everyone does that of, you know, oh, yeah, you know, we, we should be looking out for the signs and we should be checking in. But again, understanding that things change, you know, just as times change, modalities and treatment options have to change along with it. Right. Right. Now, RJ, um, as you were saying, you know, the part my supervisor always told me is, a crisis can be anything. So you really have to understand the person's fact, like you say, environmental mm-hmm. factors, um, relationship <clears throat> dynamics, family dynamics and anything. Just because I define a crisis in my head as being one thing, that other person may be experiencing another crisis. Homelessness is one. Mm-hmm. And most people don't think about just because I go without a house, a person could have had a home five minutes ago or six weeks ago and they lost at home. They're on the verge of suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, illness, like chronic illnesses, these things are important for us to look at. And even teenagers transitioning from middle school to high school and having um, the leeway to just basically understand, like, there's some changes. Like, when you experience life changes, it's not just affecting you physically. They're affecting you emotionally. And we do have to discuss that. And in the African-American community, I want to say that we have to get out the way of the non-reporting mentality where we're not going to say nothing or we're not going to tell anybody because this person over here next to us um, presented at work. Like one of the guys, um, I think like six, probably three weeks ago in Decatur, um, all the people had so much to say about his behavior being bizarre and abnormal, but no one ever reported it. Now someone's life is gone because Mm -hmm. you did not take five seconds to say this person was was like I, it doesn't even just take a mental health clinician to say things are abnormal or the person presented unkempt or this person lost his job six weeks ago and started to act bizarre. We have to do better with the reporting. Um, I just had to say that because I feel that that's a part of the prevention is getting out this the mindset that oh I need to mind my business or what goes on in my household stays in my household you can be prevent you can prevent someone's Mm -hmm. ultimate demise because as a crisis therapist I see it all the time where the person be like well you know I want to call and report this but I don't want nobody to know and this person is over here suicidal right Right. that's the problem I think too a lot of people feel like somebody else will say something yeah, but we know there have been psych studies that have told us if you think somebody else is going to do it, you probably should just do it. Yeah, bystander effect. Yeah. You think that somebody else is going to call nine one one? They're not going to call. They're not calling nine eight eight. They're not calling nine one one. They call in their homegirl and talk about the crazy thing they saw that mm-hmm. day. Right. Um, and I know it's true because I unfortunately had a family member who was going to jump off of a building. And instead of people calling the police, thankfully the police were there and the fire department and everyone else, but they just had their phones out recording. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. Somebody's at that building. They have feet over, hanging over the building. That happened in Memphis too, like like three months ago. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you not think that, you know, hey, this is a real emergency. Like this person's life is in danger. If he would have jumped, he would have broken more than his leg. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it really sets in in people's mind what suicide actually is because TV glamorizes it. And, you know, people who are standing on buildings, they always come off of the building. Somebody comes through a window and saves them. Um, Somebody finds the gun before they blow their brains out or the camera pans to something else. But that's not real life. Like these things actually happen. People actually die in Mm -hmm. sometimes gruesome ways. And And I don't, I don't think we, we see that. No, I mean, it definitely, I mean, with, with mental, with mental health period, when you look at, and and we talked about this in the previous, in the previous episode about mental health mattering, you know, when you, when you look at mental health, there is a romanticized image of what it is. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. people think that everyone that is going through an emotional distress or a transitional phase 
or a mental uh, uh, a, a crisis that, you know, there's going to be somebody that is going to you, you're, you're laying on a couch and someone's sitting next to you talking to you. No, that's sometimes that's what it is. But in most cases, it's not. And so we have to get out of the mindset of thinking one thing and then, you know, separating fact from fiction and understanding that people have real world issues that they're dealing with. And a lot of times people will be dealing with things and they don't necessarily always speak on it. But when you are tapped in with people and you're paying attention, you don't even got to know the person. But for me, just when I interact with someone, if I, if I make eye contact with you or I'm coming within arms, this is you, I'm going to speak to you. The reason mm-hmm. I'm going to speak to you is because I want you to know that I acknowledge your presence, mm-hmm. that you're not invisible, that I, I didn't just ignore you, that I'm not hearing you. I'm acknowledging your presence. Hey, how are you? Mm-hmm. Good morning. How are you doing today? You know, because just that small, you know, that small interaction may be enough to get get the person through the day. Because, mm-hmm. again, you never know what that person is dealing with internally or outside of this interaction with you. And you just, hey, you know, I see you over there. Have a good morning. Or even me and one of my other coworkers, you know, we we were into this, you know, show on Netflix, and one of the characters on the show on on you know on the documentary, he was, you know, hey, you're awesome, you're wonderful, have a great day. He would just do random stuff like that, and we would be saying that stuff to people across the parking lot, like being funny, but at the same time, the fact that you, you know, you acknowledge someone's presence, a lot of times that's enough, you know. But even when it comes to things like such as suicide. You know, the studies have shown, um, like you look at Ernest Hemingway, who's an author, you know, they lost five people over four generations to to suicide. You know, the, the studies show that when you have someone, you have a family history of suicide, you're 2.1 uh, times likely to commit suicide because you have that immediate thing going on in your family. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's very important that as as just as a community, rather what community you belong to, you are having those conversations with the people that you were coming in contact with, mm-hmm. you know, so that people understand we're here, we're in this together. Yep. We're in this together. You know, you're not in this by yourself. If you're going through things, you can come and talk to me. Yeah. You know, I don't care what time it is, what's going on. You can come and talk to me because death is final. You can't, you don't come back from that. You can't come back. Uh, no. I think we also have to touch on the different um, uh, groups that are affected, um, especially right now, uh, where we see teens uh, and and young adults who are going, who are a part of the LGBTQ community, right? Mm-hmm. Their rates are a lot higher. And, and of course, as clinicians, we know there's certain things that put them, there are a quarter, about a quarter of high school students who identify as um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, have attempted suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's this is from the CDC. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a higher suicide rate among veterans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a higher suicide rate among uh, people with disabilities. We have a higher suicide rate among the elderly, mm-hmm. um, especially of what RJ was just talking about. With the elderly, sometimes they can be cut off from family members. Mm-hmm. Nobody's checking in on them. Nobody's saying, hey, how are you doing? Nobody's stopping by. Nobody's really trying um, especially when they get to a certain age, if you're putting them, um, you know, uh, if they're, they're in, a home. in a nursing home mm-hmm. or even if they are in a nursing home, um, it seems like they're getting ignored mm-hmm. um, and people just push them to the side. Those are all things that as clinicians we're aware of. So yeah. if you come in and you're in the LGBTQ community, community, immediately I start talking to you about your mental health, about how it's affecting you. I start asking when's your last suicide attempt. But those are things that register in my mind. But right. for the community, those are things, especially when I talk about veterans, PTSD, though those are things that jump out to me. But right. to the regular person in the community who's not a clinician, it might right. not. And that's why we want to educate you all that these are the people that you really need to reach out to, whether they're in your family, whether they're your neighbor, um, all people around you, you should really try to uh, just check in on, especially if you know they're in one of these high risk, um, you know, demographics. Right. And Camille, as you go ahead. No, you go ahead, Jasmine. Um, as you were saying, um, even those with on a fixed income, we got to think about financial aspect, um, homelessness around here, um, lack of housing, and the interesting part I think for me as a clinician being in crisis was hearing people say that non-conventional ways of suicide. 
that they mm-hmm. had attempted, including the elderly saying, hey, I stopped eating right. or mm-hmm. I stopped taking my medication. Um, mm-hmm. I had a client when I seen her probably um, two years, probably a year ago, she said that there was 101 ways to commit suicide. She thought about putting a fork in a socket. Um, when she came in one time in Khalil, I, I don't know if he was in the room. Um, she weighed 95 pounds. She said originally she weighed 212 pounds and she was starving herself. And and it didn't dawn on me that she said that I was starving myself to die. So we could not provide her a, a, medic, a medical treatment there. She had to go to the hospital. So a lot of times we think about people just taking a pill or blowing their brains out. No, there's other ways that people attempt, like burning your house down. Mm-hmm. Um and when you're in domestic disputes, you try to find other ways um, to do these things that's non-conventional. And I want everybody to know, don't just think about people using the traditional means. They can actually, um, I had a teenager, a 19-year-old, saying that he went in and uh, went to the garage, um, got a kerosene heater, uh, turned that on, in addition to turned his car on. And sat in the car and tried to wait until it actually um killed him but it didn't someone found him so we gotta stop thinking about like you said the fictional aspect of it that people are just taking pills i'm shooting my shooting my head off no taking rat poison i heard several people say that or overdosing on fentanyl and and all these different things that we don't think about we have to start thinking about the non-conventional methods and what that look like how do we get treatment immediately to change your trajectory. Yeah. I was doing some light research for this episode. Anyone be too nerdy. <laughs> but I came across my findings. And no, I okay, to make it serious though, there were some myths. And Jasmine, you I think that was a great segue to talk about just like how it's romanticized or um, trivialized as, as two ways that people decide to die and so just 10 of them they were like people talking about suicide encourages someone to do it young people who talk about suicide never attempt or die by suicide these are all myths a promise to keep a note unopened and unread should always be kept Um, suicide attempts or deaths happen without warning if a person attempts suicide and survives they will never attempt again once a person is intent on suicide there's no way of stopping it their attention seeking, it's only for certain people that suicide is painless um, and that every suicide is preventable. These are just some of the things that I think you and Khalil were hitting on, Jasmine. The myths that the population at large think when it comes to suicide is so so nuanced and such a no-no topic, like, oh, don't say any suicide. Oh, it's a curse word. Don't say it. Don't say it. Um, they're just sad. They didn't, they didn't want to kill themselves. They they just, they wanted to harm themselves and not kill themselves. Some people want to die. I had to have that conversation with the client. Some people dying is, it, it, it's a way out of the pain that they're experiencing now. And there's no amount of talk therapy, medication, family support, none of it. None of it works. And the, the only light, the only way out and light at the end of the tunnel is death. Mm-hmm. And she was just like, well, that's just sad. I said, yeah, it is sad. And that's not something that I would encourage anybody to take on alone if you're not professionally trained to do so. Mm-hmm. Because it's even burdensome to us. I've taken mm-hmm. clients to the hospital and I've sat in my car for hours afterwards and just held my head like this person was going to end it. Mm-hmm. Had I not intervened, had I not been there, had they not trusted me with that, that that would have been it. And so I think really thinking about those myths and counteracting that today, I think we're doing a lot of that today, really dispelling the myths of what suicide is um, and making it very real. This is a real topic and it affects real life people. Um, Mm -hmm. And sometimes suicide attempts can be the person's very first encounter with mental health, yep. um, mental health professionals, because they tried to take their life. And that's scary. 
when you meet a person in transition and then you're trying to counter them with some type of intervention, it's just like, dang, I can't even die right. Yeah. And I have this person, a stranger coming in telling me life is going to be okay, but you don't know that my life is going to be okay. You don't know about the bills that have been stacking up, the kids I'm not able to have, or the kids that I do have that I don't really want to take care of or can't take care of, the spouse that I don't like or I don't feel qualified to be around. And so I think it's just, it's a gentle topic. I think we do have to be gentle all around, but I don't think we have to treat people as if they are fragile. Mm-hmm. And as you I say, mean, you mean, go ahead. Um, that's some people baseline. I noticed like, as Khalil and Unique were saying and RJ, um, that a lot of times when they come in a crisis center, they have multiple attempts. It may be like 10 to 12. And mm-hmm. we notice that they're clinically depressed all the time. Um, for instance, I had a um, client that told me he had been suicidal since he was in the second grade. Mm-hmm. And that his they had just basically said clinically that was his baseline. He would attempt at least every time, at least every other five years. So as a clinician, where do you start um, making progress as far as treatment? And um, the psychiatrist, what do you do as far as medication and things like that? That's important. I mean, I, I think that it, it, it boils down to, you know, like we've talked about in previous episodes in regards to understanding the core root of the issue. Mm-hmm. You know, like it just addressing the fact that a person is suicidal or having thoughts of suicide, because there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a difference between actually having ideations and wanting to, like, completely complete the action. Yeah. Those are two entirely different things. Because it's no different than than anything else you think about and then you actually act on it. They're, those are not the same thing. So by assessing and, and determining the person's root catalyst or the why that they are choosing to go down this path, by helping someone unpack the, what that is, that is a lot of times what will help you pull them back from that, from that point of no return. Because right. um, I know, I remember one time a few years back, uh, we had a coworker and there, there were signs that were there. There were signs that were there. Um, I remember one time something happened. I don't remember exactly what happened, but most of us, our phones are Bluetooth to our car. So she pulls up and her, she's on the phone with somebody. And so because she's on the phone with somebody and her mute, her radio's all the way up, you could hear the conversation. I'm sitting outside on the front porch talking to my brother, excuse me, on the phone, and I can hear the entire conversation. And so she gets out of the car and she's crying. I'm not talking about like she's just, you know, just tearful. I'm talking about like she ugly crying. So mm-hmm. I knew it was bad. So, of course, we're in front of clients. So I walk over to her and I'm like, hey, are you OK? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. I was like, no, you're not. You're not fine. Mm-hmm. I said, you're crying. I can tell that you're crying. I could hear you crying from all the way over there. I said, and, you know, right now we got to kind of we're going to pull this together because, you know, people are seeing you. So let's go. Let's go. Let's just go. In, let's let's go. You know, so had her get in the car with me and I was like, we're going to go get something to eat. And we'll go sit down and talk about this. Um, so we sat down and talked about it, it was some work related stuff. And so uh, fast forward, like a couple months later, she ended up getting fired. Mm-hmm. So she ended up getting fired and. Her son, her, like I started getting a, a, a call from a random number. And so for me, if it's not saved in my phone, I ain't answering it. You know, that's how, that's how a lot of bad things start. And so I just don't even answer the phone if it's not a number saved in my phone. And so the number just kept calling, kept calling, kept calling, kept calling. So I finally answered it. So I answered it. It was her son. So her son is like, Hey, he introduced himself. You know, my mom, uh, told me to give you a call if something was ever happened to her blah 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 and so I was like mm. did something happen to her and he was like well you know she's ha- she's going through it right now blah blah blah, blah. and I could hear her hollering and screaming in the background mm. so I said you know and, and she had made mentions before about having a firearm so I said hey don't let her go nowhere um have you already called so, I, so we start going through the steps have you already called 911 and he's like yes he said, they're on their way. I said, you know, I'm glad that you called me. 
do not let your mother go anywhere. I said, because if you, my fear is, you know, I know she keeps a gun in her purse. I said, so if you let her go someplace, you may never see her alive again. Mm-hmm. So I was like, drop your location. I will be there. I'll be there in a few minutes. So he dropped the location and it took me maybe 10 minutes to get there from the, from the, from the main campus, you know, cause she lived in Madison, but I, I, I ran every red light. I wouldn't, I wouldn't observe in the speed limits at all. Um, so I pull up and she's in the, you know, so I pull up, get to the apartment. So I get to the apartment and she's, he's physically sitting on her and she's not a small woman at all. He's having to physically sit on her and just to keep her in the apartment. Yeah. And so when I, when I get there, you know, he's sitting on her. And so I pull up the ottoman and I'm sitting there in front of her and we're talking and she's explaining what happened X, Y, and Z, you know, she's just tired you know, I just want to die, blah, 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 blah. And so he shifted his weight. And when he shifted his weight, she was able, she was able to get out from underneath him. And so she just booked it. And so I get up and I start running after her. And with her being a larger woman, I just threw my, I just threw myself into her. Mm-hmm. I threw myself into her and we both hit the ground. I'm on top of her. Because the ambulance had literally just come through the gate because they lived in the gated community. The ambulance had just come through the gate while we're rolling around on the ground. And so I explained to her, I was like, listen, the ambulance is here. You're going to go to the hospital. You can go to the hospital. We're going to get you the help that you need. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to have to file a petition if I don't need to. But I will exercise that because for me, you have you have family. You have, you know, you know, you are the head of this family. Like you have people that are counting on you. You have people that are looking to you for guidance mm-hmm. and we're not going to do this. And so, you know, she cried, but, you know, she got on the ambulance and went to the hospital. I visited her every day while she was at the hospital and she was able to get the help that she needed by going to the hospital. But in that moment, you know, had I not taken the time to go with her to go get something needed for us to just talk through it, you know, her son probably never would have called me. And that right. whole story could have gone in a completely different direction. Because for her, like when we when we sat down and talked, you know, she told me, I keep a gun in my car and, you know, and, you know, just in case, you know, she claimed it was for protection, but, you know, she was kind of alluding to to that. So for me, I knew that if they had let her leave, because she was like, oh, I'm fine. You know, I'm just going to go for a drive, just kind of clear my mind and blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And so I told him, if you let her leave, you're not going to see her alive again. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it's just one of those things where for us as 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 people, we kind of have to, like I was saying earlier, we have to kind of re revisit our thoughts on what mental health on, on, on mental health as a whole, but also suicide prevention. Like we tend to think of it as cookie cutter where we're just going to make more therapists and more prescriptions available. Mm-hmm. Some things are not going to be fixed through just having unfettered access to medications or a therapist. You know, there may be a time where we may have to, you know, provide moral support, mm-hmm. you know, or or alternative means to, to resolving conflict. But we have to kind of, you know, be proactive instead of reactive, because the, the thing that always like troubles me when someone passes away, rather that be through natural causes or unnatural causes, is we celebrate the men. Mm-hmm. But when they are alive and they're here, they're here and they can receive the celebration. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. We always want to, you know, when you, when you, I mean, it never fails when someone famous passes away, you know, we're rest in peace and we have all these great things to say about them. Yeah. You know, but then when they're here and they can receive that, they can see it, they can hear it, they can feel it, they can experience it. We don't have that same energy, right. you know? And that's where for me, every time I see somebody, Hey, how are you? You're awesome. You're, you're amazing. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Because again, you know, just hearing that, just experiencing that a lot of times is enough to get you over the hump versus, you know, damn, it's another day. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody, nobody cares. Nobody cares if I'm here or not. I'm invisible. People just ignore me. People mm-hmm. just walk past me or walk through me and don't even acknowledge it. Don't even acknowledge my presence. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is um, interesting, uh, you hit so many gems in that, just that snippet um, with just non-traditional ways. I think, 
when you really deal with people who are suicidal, you do rarely get to use the textbook stuff. Mm-hmm. It's usually going to be something you just are in the moment and the adrenaline's pumping and those clinical skills pop into play. Mm-hmm. And you're like, look, you're having a hard conversation. Do you want to die? I've asked several clients that. It seems like you want to die because you keep ending up on the psych ward and these are your death experiences. Mm-hmm. They're having to resuscitate you. So let me know if you're wanting to die, then we can have a different conversation. But I don't think people realize just the magnitude. Um, another thing that I was going to suggest was, um, and I think I lost my train of thought. But it, it is a lot of times the unconventional things. I think one of the things I'll say this, this is not what I was initially going to say, but I had a client, he was fiery mad at me. Um, he was a sweet guy. He was very depressed, kind of like family stuff and was having relationship issues. And he and I, to your point where it's not, you can't, it's not an amount of therapy you can have that will stop you from being suicidal. And he was sitting down. I remember sitting at his kitchen table in the residential house and he was just like, you know, I'm just going to take some Tylenol, like all of it. And that's going to be it. I said, well, if you do that, I'm going to have you committed to a psych ward. And he was just like, okay. I said, okay. And we we just had this pleasant exchange. And I'm smiling. And he's just like, yep. I said, all right, do it. And I mean, if that's what you got to do, I'm going to do what I have to do. He yeah. did it. He went out and bought the pills. And he took all of them. And I kept my promise. And I sent him to the hospital. And when he got out, they were like, you have to go and see Miss Unique to come back into the house. Well, I made them, the hospital, drop him off to the office to see me. Why do you want to see me? I was like, because I care. Mm-hmm. This is just your job. I said, no. My job was to make sure you made it to the hospital. My job is not to care that you live to see another day. Mm-hmm. I said, but I do. I do care. Oh, And I I was reminding him, this is the point I was going to make before. We have to remind people about all of the other good things. And this is why it's important to get to know people. So I was able to bring up, remember how you helped this person out last week. When we got the new resident, they told me all of the good stuff about you. Now what's going to happen when I get another resident? Now I ain't going to have nobody to welcome them. Oh, you're just saying that to be nice. I said, I'm not saying that to be nice. You know how many mean people come in these houses? And he was just like... You're right. I said, then who's going to sweep? Because you always come and you sweep the building for me. I got five billion things to do. I can't sweep it. He was like, you're right. You're right. And so as I started to build that report, after, like, it took us about a week to get back. But he said, he came back into my office and said, thanks for saving my life. I said, thanks for allowing me to. Because right. mm-hmm. that's and a I- big ask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a, yeah. Some people want to die, and that's the best thing that they could do. And so, to have the opportunity to help them to stay alive, if just for one more day, one more week, thanks for letting me be a part of the the happiness of your life, mm-hmm. and not just a part of another thing to add to the negative list of a reason to die. Right. right. So, yeah. And as you said, unique. I think a lot of times they think that that's a task of ours is to mm-hmm. care and a lot of times as you said once you build that rapport and you really engage with people you understand their struggles you know you understand mm-hmm. the hardship they're enduring and if you have an ounce of empathy I always think about the Grinch mm-hmm. <laughs> you know like how much he didn't care and to the point mm-hmm. that he got to where he cared and I mean it's just rewarding seeing and even just being to the point where you can shift somebody's perspective about wanting to die like you said you don't have to it's our Mm -hmm. job to report (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you know you can file committals or petitions and things like that send them to the hospital which most of them hate us for it oh yes Mm -hmm. you know because that's the first thing are you sending the police to my house and you know is the ambulance coming and all that you know hang up goodbye it's because i care yeah (laughs) cutting me out and everything Yes, oh yes, you know. cussing me yeah. How dare you? I said, try to save your life. I mean, there there have been times where I physically have taken people to the hospital because I mean, I get it. You know, nobody nobody wants it to be a circus. Nobody mm-hmm. wants it to be a a a spectacle. 
you know, so if I didn't care, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't speak on it. Cause I'm a person that I don't speak on things. I don't do things that I don't care about. Yeah. So for me, you and you, each individual person I come in contact with, I care about you. Yeah. You know, I want everyone to be able to be the best version of themselves. I want them to get the most that they can out of life. And mm -hmm. we all go through tough times. We all struggle. We all, you know, like I keep saying, we all ride the wave. And in riding that wave, you know, I never want to see a person fail. I never want to see a person drown. Mm -hmm. And so for me, there have been times where I've said, hey, we're, you know, because I knew if I called, you know, the emergency services, they're going to send it. They're going to send the Hemsy bus. They're going to send the police car. Depending on what else is going on, they're going to send a fire truck, too. Mm -hmm. So so it doesn't become a spectacle. Hey, why don't we just get in the car? We're going to drive. to. We're going to go to the hospital together. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm gonna get you signed in. I'm gonna make sure they get you squared away and they're going to get you the help that you need. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. because again, it's not my thing of wanting to force you to do something that you don't want to do, right. you know, but also at the same time, you know, as, as a provider, we all have consciences. And so, because I have a conscience, I don't want that on my conscience that I could have done more and I didn't. Mm -hmm. I don't want to think back on interactions that I had with a person I came in contact with where again, there's something else I could have said or something else I could have done to prevent that from being the final outcome. Mm -hmm. And, and so even, even with when I take my therapist hat off and I go back to being, you know, non-therapist RJ, you know, I still carry that over into my personal yeah. life. When I interact with people, I still try to leave with respect and love and compassion because again, you never know who you're coming in contact with. And if the roles reverse, mm -hmm. if I'm having a hard time, I'd want someone to recognize that I'm having a hard time and being and and be willing to take the time to help me out of my hard time. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes just sit with me. Yeah. I mean, you talk yeah. about listen, that listen, listen. Just look, I'm not trying to fix your whole life. No, I just want to hear about, about it. So mm -hmm. I'm like, girl, oh, you too? My right. God. Like, dang it, that sucks. That, ooh, that was horrible. Child, I, you know, I, I've, I've been, been through that. Yeah. Oh, man, I'm having a hard time paying my bills. Yo, I just had a hard time last week. I was, look, I was in dire straits myself. And sometimes, go ahead, Khalil. I think what you're touching on is what um, kind of what Renee Brown was talking about like that level of empathy where you can mm -hmm. sit with that person. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't always have to be a solution. Yeah. I, I think that's what people are thinking. Like fix my life. And it's that's, that's scary not part it. about it. Right. Yes. Like, you don't have to fix anybody's life. Like mm -mm. you can sit with them in that darkness. You don't have to offer solutions. Mm -hmm. You can be a listening ear. Like you were saying, unique. go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. No, that's exactly it. Holding that hand. Um, so many times I've just had people, to come in my office and they they mad, you know, when they first get there. And I flat out told them, oh, you don't have to talk to me. I got a lot of work to do. But you can sit down in that chair. They said, what? I said, yeah, yeah, you can sit there. Because I know I'm going to start doing my work and something's going to come up. You know, man, oh, they just get on my nerves. Oh, yep. get on your nerves. <laughs> what are you saying? You made me mad. Oh, well, what'd they do? Oh, okay. I thought you said we wasn't talking. I'm not talking. I'm still doing my work. I'm still typing. Right. And so then it, the story unfolds, and before you know it, they didn't spelled out the whole thing. And I said, well, what you want to do about it? Because you was real upset when you first mm -hmm. got in here. So what you want to do about it? Because it don't sound like you're upset anymore. Well, I'm not really upset. Now my feelings just were hurt. I felt disrespected. I said, now we got something to talk about. Mm -hmm. How about we come back? Now that we got that out, let's come back tomorrow. You promise to come back tomorrow? Yeah, you can't kill yourself if you're going to promise to come back tomorrow. No, nah, I'll be back. I said, you sure? I don't want to have to come looking for you. No, you won't. And they've come back. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you I like, I like how you say the realistic aspect of it. I think people think that therapists are robots. Mm -hmm. We're not like we are human. Like that's the most um, intimate time that you have with a person is sitting there with them mm -hmm. and their emotions. Yeah. Um, like you said, it, it, it just takes one word for you to even mm -hmm. just get a like I can pull so much in. It. And that's what I just think like it's the amazing part about it is being able to actually sit there with someone and not talk 
Mm-hmm. I don't Ooh. have to talk. I don't have to talk. Because mm-hmm. the therapist should not work as hard as the client. And that's what mm-hmm. they always told us in grad school. However, the client is going to tell you what they want to tell you. And mm-hmm. that's the great part about being real with them mm-hmm. and building rapport. That's, that's mm-hmm. the two foundational things that I think that really drives a session. They don't want a robot. That's mm-hmm. not what they're looking for. They're, they they're looking real. for a, a passenger on their journey, mm-hmm. a companion, a companion on their journey. Mm-hmm. And as a, as a therapist, that's, I mean, that's our job. It's not to, to tell you what to do. Yeah. It's to help you. It's to, to be on the journey with you and help you navigate and make sense of all your options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause, cause a lot of times, you know, for, for me as a, as a provider, what I try to do is I, I want you to talk about what you're thinking, say your thoughts out loud. Mm-hmm. You know, by saying them out loud, guess what? You realize that, that probably wasn't the smartest thing to do in the first place. Because now that you're saying it out loud, you're like, it sounded good in my head. But mm-hmm. now that I'm saying it out loud and I'm hearing it, <laughs> ooh, that probably wasn't the smartest <laughs> thing. Yeah. Well, that's that Bring that back in. Hold up. Source, right? <laughs> that's all of us. That's how we'll become aware of sure. some distorted thoughts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I say it out loud, then I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, oh, that was me. Exactly. I'm, I'm tripping. Yeah, that so that wasn't, so me. that wasn't me. That was the hunter so, talking. So so I ask, right. you know, when, when they do that, I'm asked, like, now that you've said that out loud, does, does that make sense to you? You know what? See, I see what you did there. I see what you did there. Uh-huh. You just tricked me. I'm like, I didn't trick you. I just you ran it. I just inquired. I just inquired, you I know, and, and I just asked some questions. I said, I didn't do anything. You came to the realization on your own. And so as a, as you know, for me as a, as a person, and and we've talked about this in other episodes, where it boils down to valuing the people that we come in contact with. Yeah, and yeah. I feel that you know there has been a a large disparity, and we just don't value each other anymore. Yeah, because um, if I valued you, there's not going to be a day that I come in contact with you I don't even speak. Mm-hmm. You know, and and when you look at like with COVID, when COVID kicked off and we all had to go into seclusion and isolation, um. You, you saw people's, you know, you saw the numbers go exceedingly high because people started to become depressed because that interaction wasn't there anymore. The, the community wasn't there anymore. Uh, the ability to have a conversation with someone face to face was no longer there anymore because the fear was if I come in contact with too many people, I potentially am going to die because mm-hmm. people were literally dying from catching COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, now that, you know, of course, they have the vaccines and there's different treatment options that are available to manage and to address COVID, you know, you're starting to see um, people interact and, and, you know, kind of come back around. But in that moment, how many people can honestly say that I was calling people to check on them? Right. You know, I just want, I I haven't heard from you in a week. Let me call and check on you. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard from you in two weeks. Let me call and check on you. You know, we, we, you know, we're used to seeing the same person every single day. And now all of a sudden, because of COVID, I don't see you, but every once in a while, because a lot of people started working from home or providing, you know, t- you know, from home services for me and in my department, the department I work in at work, we never stopped seeing people. Yeah. Always so I was always at work and me being a manager, I definitely could not be at work. So one of my clients, you know, the fact that every single week we sat down, I sat at her kitchen table and that's how we had our sessions was I sat down with her because you know, she was an engineer in her previous life. She was an engineer. She became unwell, could no longer be an engineer anymore. So having, you know, going from being higher functioning and being able to have these serious, in-depth theoretical conversations with people about facts and figures and numbers to now not being able to have that with any with anybody that like that impacted her in a huge way. So for me, prior to, you know, my journey into psychology, I was an engineer major. And so we would sit down and go over numbers and facts and figures like that meant so much to her to the point to where when we when COVID kicked off, we couldn't go in people's homes anymore. You know, like that, like messed her up bad, you know, not from a standpoint of her, you know, having suicide ideations, but from the standpoint of she was missing that that interaction like she took it personally, like RJ won't come over, won't come and sit down with me no more. And I'm like, ma'am, we've been over this. I can't because of COVID. <laughs> Legally, I'm not allowed to. You know, I said we can, we can, we can, we can sit outside and talk. And so, you know, you know, her thing was she was afraid people would try to steal her work. That's what she would call it, her work. And so, the delusions and the paranoia were her baseline because she was at her baseline. Um, but just 
that person, that personability of being able to sit down and have a face-to-face conversation, she didn't get mm-hmm. that in an everyday, in an everyday set, uh, situation. Yeah. So just being able to have that with me once a week, it wasn't every day, just once a week, like she looked forward to that. And I mean, to me, that made me completely reassess my interactions with people, you know, of, well, dang, she felt that felt that particular way about a, a, just a conversation, a one hour conversation. Damn, like every other people, other people that I'm coming in contact with, they may feel the same way. Mm-hmm. So now, hey, I see you, we have, we talking. You make eye contact with me, we talking. Yeah. If I see you see me, we talking. Like don't try to hide because I'll, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll run behind you and I can run pretty fast and for a long distance, so I will outrun you, we talking. Well, I don't meet strangers, so, um. Inside of work and outside of work, I'm gonna talk to you. Um, if you know me well, <laughs> I will. Where you know RJ will outrun y'all, I will out talk you. Awake or sleep, take it up with us. You know, look, no, in my sleep I might out talk you too. <laughs> I'm gonna out talk you, but I think that's important. You know, because it's just that like. The simple things, man. I see people at the grocery store, and I'm not one of those people who will tell them, like, oh, you need to smile, because they may not have a reason to smile, but I'm going to make it yes. my business to give them one. Okay, I see that shirt. Oh, let me find out how to pick the apple. Which one is it? How do you, what do you smell it? Like, what do you rub it? And they'll be like, what? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know. Was that an interruption? Okay, well, have a great day. So it's the small things that are important mm-hmm. to people. We're laughing mm-hmm. about it because we're joking with each other, but it's the small things that are very important. Hello, I'm serious. I really yeah. do that. Well, I, I, I'm saying I like, do that too. Yeah, and it's a good thing though because <laughs> what you all are doing is you're bringing someone some type of ray of sunshine into mm-hmm. their life, some form of encouragement, and people need that. I had a client. Um, I was going to bring it up earlier. Um, she told me one of her reasons for living um, and is to, was to finish watching Stranger Things. Come on, man. So she enjoyed that TV show so much, right, um, that she wouldn't watch, um, like, the, the end of uh, season three she, until season four came out so she would have something else to oh, watch. Smart. And season that's four smart. has come out, right? So she said, well, that keeps me alive. And this is someone who had... Um, a niece and a nep- nephew who she loved, sister, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. family, mother, father. She still had a, a core nucleus of people, um, but she said the only thing, which was so funny to me, and I'm like, that's mm-hmm. the only thing keeping you alive, was something she found a little bit of enjoyment in. Um, and and to me, that spoke volumes because I'm like, wow, if something that small can keep her from taking her life you know, what you all name can go a long way as well. Because it's small, just that interaction you have with people, sometimes just your smile. Um, you know, I know when I come into work, I like somebody to joke with me. Chaz mm-hmm. knows, you know what I'm saying? We used to work <laughs> second shift together. You know, she'll talk some stuff to me. Clear, you owe me money. $30 every time you come in. Exactly. You know, and, I, and I might be in a bad mood, but they're like, man, leave me alone. <laughs> but, you know, it'll make a smile come to my face. Something like that is needed because you never know where my head is at. You know what I'm saying? You never know what people are. Um, and you might be able to bring them out of that negative thought process. So yeah. what you guys are talking about is important. One time um, I was at work and I worked in a very unfavorable environment um, where we people came for a prescription. And so the staff members, we had to be there at 5 a.m., and so the staff members were not always pleasant when you had to be to work at five, sometimes leaving your house at 3 a.m. And so I came up with something called the wellness committee. And the wellness committee would literally, I would go around to everybody's office and just say good morning. And so when I talked to um, the front desk worker, she'd been working there for years. I was like, you know, I really want to make this a thing. And she was like, nobody's going to join it. Nobody's going to be a part of it. I was just like, are you sure? Like, we, I think we could. And so it started off with just me saying good morning. To It turned into doing birthdays, us having um, Super Bowl parties, Thanksgiving parties, and people would pay for it. Like, I never put my own money up for anything. Like, for any of the potlucks, we would cater food. I never paid for anything. The owner never paid for anything. We had birthdays, never paid for anything because people wanted it. 
They like that I will come around and give them a simple card that may have cost me $2. I had people to get money in the card. Somebody lost a loved one. And I was like, we really need to support them. We threw baby showers. And they said, well, how did you get people to do it? I said, just by saying good morning every day. It made the difference. And so if a person was going through something at work, they would give me a call or send me something on the work email. Oh, man, I just need somebody. And I got other members, somebody from the wellness community to come and talk to me. So I would send out the people like, hey, we got a wellness situation. You need to go and talk to such and so. And it just got such a buzz around the office that people enjoy coming to work at 5 a.m. And they'd be like, I, I didn't get my good morning today. I was like, well, you must not have been in your office because we came around. And they're like, well, can I get it? Well, good morning. How are you? But it makes the difference. So if it makes the difference for us, people who um, may not suffer from an ailment, imagine, like you were saying, Khalil, and that we've altered how much of a difference that makes to someone who is not feeling their best or potentially feeling like dying is the best option. It makes a world of difference to just say, you matter. Um, I, I care about you. You can talk to me. Hey, mm-hmm. let's call the crisis hotline together, right? right? I understand that this could be scary. Let me talk to them. I'll talk to them with you. Or mm-hmm. you can drive to the hospital. Tell me what happened. You know, all of those things, bringing it full circle, make a difference to a person who is hurting and feeling alone or without options. Yeah, because right. for, for most people, when they're at that point, they feel like they have nothing else. Yeah. And so if we can be that, that ray of sunshine to show them that they have other alternatives. Mm-hmm. It, it means the difference between, in some cases, living and dying. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, like you and I, like we're, we're both silly in that regard. Mm-hmm. Not, you yeah. know, that we don't take the situation seriously, but just the fact that we will go out of our way to be so extra mm-hmm. that it pulls your mind off of the negative. You know, like I had uh, one of one of the people that I work with where he always talks about hunting the good stuff, no matter how bad things are, you know, you have to embrace the suck and hunt, and hunt the good stuff because it could always be worse. Whenever I talk to somebody, I ask them, hey, hey how's your day going? Uh, it's OK. Why is it OK? Why is it not super fantastic? You know, and then they start going, hey, but it could be worse, though. Mm-hmm. Well, how could it be worse? Because you could not woke up this morning. Yeah. You could not. You could have not had a job. You could be living on the street. There's a whole lot of other things that could be going on to where you could be, you know, at rock bottom. And they're like, you know what you write in comparison to those things. I'm doing great. You know, and, and, and just being able to reframe someone's thought process from negative to positive or even not even necessarily from negative to positive, but negative to neutral. Yeah. You know, allows them to at least come back from from that that point of no return. Yeah. And I mean, for me, you know, like I said, I'm, I'll, I'll be super extra with it. I'm like, ma'am, you you wearing a skirt. I see you got your leg meat out and everything, you know, and then, you know, she just started laughing and smiling, you know. So, I mean, it's things like that, that as a person, you know, because I value each person I come in contact with. Every individual has has worth and has value. And I think that, you know, because we get so caught up in running the race and trying to be concerned about what's going on in front of me, what's on my plate, that I don't stop and make sure that my, you know, the person to the right, to the left of me, in front of me and behind me is okay, too. But that might clear your plate. Exactly. Exactly. It just might make your load that much lighter. Mm-hmm. Right? Somebody feeling, especially because we talked about the older population, and I think they, my heart goes out for them and kids the most. I don't want to be their therapist because I'll be crying every single day. <laughs> Ooh, but outside of therapy, they're my favorite. But you look at the older person who, doesn't have you know their their kids are all gone they may not come and visit them anymore at the nursing home and you go in just saying they they may feel listless and suicidal but you say man I, I just I don't know how to get my kids to listen to me well let me tell you I've got 20 years worth of experience mm-hmm. and you just brought them out of it me sharing my problem brought this person out of suicide sure did mm-hmm. Because now they feel needed again. Oh, she mm-hmm. needs me. She ain't and gonna value it. Right. She them babies gonna mm, they ain't gonna make it with her. But I told this <laughs> 70-something year old who's had life experience the problem that I'm having. Now she's feeling like I'm pouring into 
her and you know she she needs me again I need it and I've just changed that person's whole dynamic um so yeah it's, it's I think we could go round and round talking about just people being needed. Another thing I wanted to talk about was people, um, that community, to mm-hmm. see that I'm not alone. We've talked about group therapy, but I think we will talk about it a million more times. There are communities for everything under the sun. Yes. Yeah. Find your people. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it for the people who got their volume turned low. Find your people. There are literally chat rooms for everything that you can imagine. Um, and I found one today. I found one before, but this one is called www.suicidestop.com. And literally, they have chat rooms that are monitored by professionals to make sure that it's a supportive space for people to join and talk about what's mm-hmm. going on. I mean, I've even peeked on it for some of my clients just to see. And people are in there like, I had a bad day. Um, it just really feels hopeless now. And somebody's just like, why does it feel hopeless? You know, bad days don't mean you're having a bad life. And these are not trained professionals. These are regular, regular people who've experienced the same thing because you have to meet the criteria to get in the chat, but it's free. So you find people who've experienced, who are experiencing what you've experienced or who have experienced what you experienced. And they're thriving. Mm -hmm. So if you're like, I don't want to talk to my family because I'm embarrassed. Your family might not. I tell clients all the time, your family might not be the best person to talk to about this. Yep. They're not going to give you the best advice. They don't understand. Then they shouldn't. That's that's not their job. Their job is to be your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you do biased. have people. Yeah, they're going to be biased. Don't kill yourself. That's just a dumb idea. It's not a dumb idea. It's your idea. Right. Okay. But these people in the chat, they know what it feels like to not have family support or to have family who doesn't really understand, feeling like you don't have options. So finding a tribe of people or a clique or a group, find people who are going to see you right where you are, not where you should be, mm-hmm. where you want to be, where you used to be. Nope. Today, right in the midst of your mess. And I wanted to also say, um, because I'm going to allow Chasmin to put this in. Uh, For you all who don't know, um, especially in the local community, Alabama, um, you know, I mean, uh, Huntsville area and all around Atlanta, different places. uh, Right now, what's really um, uh, a useful tool right now is the 988 hotline. Chasmin, if you want to speak on that for people, because we're running out of time, people need to know about the prevention strategies. Okay, so the 988 hotline is a suicide intervention hotline in addition to suicide prevention hotline. What you can do is call um, if you feel hopeless. You can have a conversation with a trained therapist. I know in certain areas they do have peer specialists that do um, have that experience, as Unique was saying, that has experienced either attempts, hopelessness. Um, in addition, there um, is a 714-714 text line. Um, you just text hello, I think, and you can um, actually chat with a therapist or a, tra- a trained therapist as well in a local area, too, um, if you're experiencing uh, suicidal ideations, Khalil and RJ do know about this resource, um, as well as on emergency services. Um, they do do screening as far as like the suicide, um, suicide risk assessments. And RJ, you can probably go ahead and tell them, too, more about it and Khalil if you want to as well. Right. Um, definitely uh, is in the local area if you need to get someone in somewhere uh, in somewhere fast, quick. You've done an assessment. If you're a clinician um, mm-hmm. or if you're a family member and you know that person is suffering, please go to Huntsville Hospital or whatever hospital you're around in your local yep. area, your local metropolitan mm-hmm. area. Go there. There's trained professionals. There's psych, um, psychologists. There's um, psych screeners. There's all different sorts of people at the hospital and psychiatrists. All right, who will do an assessment from that point on we can get the person refer them where they need to go you can get them in the appropriate mental health services outpatient inpatient whatever it is but those are things where if you're in that type of situation where you know it's an emergency and that person ex- has expressed intent mm-hmm. and they do have a plan that mm-hmm. there's nothing you could do personally besides to get them to the hospital right. at yep. that time don't don't do not pass go don't collect two hundred dollars don't wait 
Um, don't think they're joking. Don't, don't yeah, take take them exceedingly serious. You know, like right. it's better that you take them seriously and then that you get them linked to the services versus thinking that they're not serious and that you don't get them the services that they need and then you have a bad outcome. Mm-hmm. So right. it's very important that you are doing that you are staying on top of this. You're being proactive and that when a person is expressing how they feel, because again, a person is not expressing this, especially if they're expressing it to you. They're not expressing it lightly. They're not telling you that, you know, to threaten you or to just be saying it because it's cool. It's the cool thing to say. Mm -hmm. For a person to get to the point to where they feel that that is the only feasible outcome for themselves and then and they feel comfortable enough to tell you, you know, I need to take it seriously. That's right. Even I wanted to say, even if they are being manipulative with it, that's mm-hmm. still a problem. Mm-hmm. That's still a problem. Yes. Right. Exactly. Somebody right. using suicide yes. against yes. you in a, in a malicious or manipulative way, that's nothing to joke about. And if someone's willing to say that to kind of get you to move, do not take that lightly. Get them help immediately because right. a lot of people have died from suicide on accident. Mm-hmm. Right. Just out of being vicious or vindictive or trying to, you know, prove a point and they've killed themselves. So right. even if they say it, as we hear with breakups for younger adults, I'll just kill myself. Call 911, call 988 immediately mm-hmm. and let them know this person is not well and I'm fearing for their life. Yep. Right. And um, as you all said, the plan, mean, and intent, we have to elaborate on that real quick. A plan just means hey, they're planning to do it. They probably Googled. They told you something about it. They may mm-hmm. have stored a weapon. Um, means you have a weapon. You may have pills. Um, you may not go purchase food this week. Um, you may have uh, created a suicide note. All these things. Mm-hmm. And intent means basically that pretty much as a clinician, we can gauge how intent that the ideations are, whether you're at a low, moderate, uh, severe um, just based on what you're, you're telling us. And a lot of times, as you said, RJ and Khalil and Unique, you don't know. You just have to look at how they're presenting and things like that um, and just basically listen to the conversation and the nonverbal cues. And uh, So we're going to put a, uh, we're going to stop the conversation here. Um, we ask that if you like the conversation, if you would like to participate in the conversation, we ask that you like, subscribe, share, turn your notifications on. We are found on YouTube at Try Not to Overthink It on YouTube, as well as uh, Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcasts as well. Um, this is a conversation that, again, is exceedingly serious to us because mm-hmm. as mental health providers, most of us, if not all of us, at some point in time as a provider, will come in contact with someone who is either endorsing suicidal ideations, has a history of suicidal ideations, or has a history of, of actual attempts. And so every life is precious and every life is important and every life has value and worth. And again, we're hoping that by having these conversations on this platform, we will bring light to certain things and increase the likelihood that we can see change occurring. So this is Try Not to Overthink It, uh, signing out for this episode. I'm RJ. I'm Unique. I'm Tasman. And I'm Khalil. And we'll catch you in the next episode. You guys have a good one. Bye.